happy to be here uh, preaching for you all. Um, happy to be here at all. I choked on a bagel on the way in here this morning and uh, didn't think I was going to make it. Uh, but if, if my voice is all scratchy and I'm coughing, it is not because I got the COVID. It's because of the bagel. So just to put you, just to put you at ease slightly. Uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Um, I really love this passage. It's very helpful. I think Paul breaks through in um, some very clear ways. We also get to see um, um, Paul's sense of humor in there. Uh, there are a few jokes buried uh, within these words. I'll let you try to figure out what those are before I get to them and point them out. Um, but this is, a, this is a very direct and practical uh, passage that we have the, to apply um, to our everyday lives. And just to set this whole thing in context, uh, we are, Paul is preaching to, he is writing to a church in uh, the region of Galatia, which is a church that is going through a lot of turmoil. Uh, there are a lot of changes uh, since Jesus has come. It has uh, thrown their religious lives into some little bit of question as they're trying to figure out what does this mean uh, to live uh, the Christian life. Um, there are all kind of things going on around them uh, politically, uh, um, stuff like that. And so it's an anxious time. Um, there are things that we can relate to very much in here. Um, but Paul was really getting at a lot in this whole letter is, um, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's how we are actually saved by Jesus, but in just as much, if not a bigger way, is how we actually live this out. Uh, how do we live out the Christian life? What are the marks that uh, actually, um, that we have to look to and hold on to um, of how God wants us to live Uh, especially in a time like this. So all that to set it up, uh, let's turn our attention to the text. Um, I will read it, Galatians 5, 1 through 15, and then pray for us, and then we will jump right in. This is God's word. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, and you uh, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence that in the day of the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. If you were called to freedom, brothers... For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, would you be with us this morning? Uh, Would you be with my words um, and uh, the meditation of my heart, that it would be uh, pleasing to you, that it would be helpful, uh, that you would surround us all by your grace, uh, that you would teach us, uh, that your voice would call through to us very clearly. 
um, and that you would motivate us to move out of here um, in true faith and love for each other. Uh, We put this in your hands and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I think is going on in this passage is that it's a phenomenon that we are all very familiar with, um, that in any kind of debate, in any kind of conversation, um, oftentimes it is the loudest voices uh, that hold the most sway. Um, If we're really honest with ourselves, I know a lot of us like to think that, um, you know, we have our own opinions and we stick to them and we're not influenced by those outside of us, Uh, but we are really affected by people. Um, I'm sure you can think of a situation where you were, you know, you were in a group um, and somebody especially had a very uh, loud, forthright opinion and it just kind of shifted the whole group. It's like the whole group couldn't go on with conversation without dealing with that one issue and it kind of, um, it slanted it in one particular direction. Uh, I think we see this all the time. I mean, if you notice, you know, even online, you know, the articles we read, like what are the things that really come up to the top and like grab our attention and influences often, it are the things that are the most pointed, they're a little bit edgy, uh, they're kind of loud with a strong opinion, uh, because they stand out. Uh, They stand out to us and they give us uh, something to wrestle with, um, and it tends to be those voices that are uh, very influential to us. And this is what's going on in Paul's day. In this church in Galatia, it's clear that there are, um, that the gospel has come, it has planted a church here, but then there are particular figures in here, um, we don't know exactly who they are, but they have a very loud voice of what it means uh, to live out the Christian life, that what are the true marks of, um, of the Christian life. And that it is, even though that, you know, the gospel was known here, that these voices actually have a lot of power. And it's creating a lot of anxiety in the church and it's creating a situation that is actually putting the church at risk um, from missing out and drifting away from the thing that is the most precious and the most important uh, that has been given to them. And what Paul wants them to see in this situation and what he wants us to see is that there is a voice uh, that is dependable and that is loud and that it is always clear. Um, So I came up with the words, the immutable and unmutable voice of Jesus. That means it is a voice that doesn't change and that cannot be squelched. And that is the voice of the cross in the empty tomb. Uh, That Christ has come and that he has delivered his people from sin and slavery. He has given freedom. He has risen from the dead to give new life. And all of our aspects of the Christian life flow through that right there. And we always have the cross of Jesus, and we always have the empty tomb standing in front of us that is speaking to us, that is speaking the truth, and as we saw in here, that is the voice that calls to us. That is the voice that is loud and that cuts through the mess, and it is the one voice that we can always depend on and that never changes. And what I want to do is break down what is this voice and what is it saying. Um, and that Paul is, there's, there's two, this is a, this is a two slash three point sermon. Um, I think Paul is giving us two marks um, that really stand out here of what marks the Christian life. The genuine Christian life and how we live. And those two things are freedom and love. Uh, freedom, we're going to break that down into two points. There's, we're going to see we get freedom from self-righteousness and freedom from group righteousness. So if we spend more time on the first point, don't worry about it. It's because there's actually three points uh, buried in there. Uh, but let's look at the first point that uh, what Jesus wants us to clearly see and that Paul is burdened for this group is that they see that this 
is a, one of the key characteristics of what it means to be a Christian and to live out the Christian life is actually freedom. That this is not something that we have been called into a new kind of bondage uh, with new kind of rules or even old kinds of rules. But this is a life that is characterized by freedom and by joy. In the first place, uh, like I said, we'll break it down, that this, that this gives us a freedom from self-righteousness. And that's, I'm getting that because uh, there's a figure in this group um, who has, for whatever reason, um, has a burdened conscience. So their conscience is actually the loudest voice uh, that is speaking to them. And this is the conviction that some of these old ways, of, uh, particularly about circumcision and about uh, keeping feast days, things that were attached to the, to the law of God, is that these are the primary characteristics of what it means to live out the Christian faith. And that in a way that we have been brought in um, to the church by grace, that Jesus has said he has died and he has risen, he has saved us. But in order to continue in that, that there are these still things that remain um, that need to be done. These external markers that actually mark out um, that these are the people of God. And that's essentially what circumcision was and how it functioned in Israel. That this is marked who, who were in the true covenant family of God. This is a family that was given all of the blessings of God, of being God's people. All of his promises were given to this family. His gracious relationship, his presence was given to this family. And uh, when males were circumcised, um, and that them and their whole families uh, were counted as a part of this group. And all of this grace and these lavish blessings uh, were, were, were given to this family. And to not be circumcised, um, you kind of get the pun, like was to be cut off, but to remove from the people and to be removed from, um, from this family, um, um, from the blessings that come with it. But what Christ has done is that he came and he is the true Israel, that he lived a life that fully fulfilled all of the obligations of what God had for his people. And yet, instead, in, in, in the one that should have been fully blessed, like unhindered blessing, that he actually experienced the curse, that he was cut off for our sake, that the curses that belonged to us were given to him, and he was cut off from the people. And as he rose again, that he was then able to give the blessings, that the blessings of the people of God, they don't come through these external markers anymore, they come through Jesus. It is faith placed in Jesus that the blessings of the covenant God are mediated. It is not from anything else. And in that sense, these external markers have been done away with. They're no longer necessary because Christ has already fulfilled them. And these also were things they marked out, you know, the Jewish people from other people. And this was always the plan that God would remove these barriers and make one people. That all the people from all over the earth, no matter we look like, smell like, whatever, would be one people. And all of this is shown in Jesus Christ. And so what happens here is, and you can, we, can, we can feel what this feels like, is that this individual, because this has been done for so long and that there was this sense of security that came from it, you can almost see there's this thought that, you know, that's good and I'm, I'll place my faith in Jesus and whatever, but this can't hurt, right? Like, it, it, it can't hurt. Like, to, to do these things, it doesn't obviously hurt people. And if anything, at the end of the day, I, I maybe just have a little bit of an extra reassurance um, that I'm not missing something, that I am a true member of the people of God. There's something tangible that I can cling to and point to that gives a sense of safety. And what Paul wants to say 
Even though we might not think immediately that that's such a bad thing. What Paul wants to say, that if that is the gospel, if this is a gospel that is Jesus plus extra securities, it is not actually any security, any gospel at all. And how does he say that? He goes in, which is clever. He gives us a logical problem. He said, if you're going to submit to any kind of using any kind of external thing uh, to mark you out um, as and to mediate the blessings of God, if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to do it all the way. Like if you're going to depend at all on external things, the only way that the law works is if the entire thing is kept. There's no such thing as halfway. And even James uh, 2, he says that if, if anyone breaks even one law, is the same thing as breaking the whole thing. Now, I'll give you an illustration. I think I've used this before. I'm stealing it from my dad because it's a great illustration. Uh, it really gets the point. Um, my dad used to uh, drink water with like three or four lemons in it. Um, I remember this. Like he would just cut these big old lemon wedges and he would drink all oh, like cutting the grass and have like these big cups with tons of lemons. Um, but, and then we'd dump them down the garbage disposal. And, but after a while, our garbage disposal quit working, probably because they were tired of uh, chewing up all these lemons. And my mom was the only one in the house who had hands small enough, um, outside the kids, who she was not going to have stick down their hand down the garbage disposal, to fish them out. So every time he would dump lemons into the, into the sink, the garbage disposal, it would clog up, and she would have to go down in the goo and pull it out to, to let the garbage disposal work again. And it took a little while to get the hang of this. Um, and more by more, he would start throwing the lemons away in the trash can. But every once in a while, like you would hear out of the kitchen an exasperated cry from my mom. And she would say, somebody threw a lemon down the garbage disposal. And of course, my dad would reply, yes, but I threw six in the trash can already. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that, does it? Because the rule is not that you get six out of seven. The rule is that all of them go in the trash can. And Paul wants us to see that the law functions the same way. If we are going to in any way put our dependence upon this, it's got to be the whole thing. Or it's worthless. And just to clue in, nobody can do it. Paul wants to see that when we start the Christian life by grace... We always continue by grace. That never changes. We never get to the point where we can undo what we have done before and we can get to a point that's perfect enough that we can actually get security from external things. But the good news is that we don't have to because God has so fully given of himself, has borne the curse of the law in himself and given us his righteousness that no matter where we are, no matter how long we are old we are in the family of God, that we are there by grace. And that grace is true and it is dependable. And just to apply this, this is often how it works with us. Um, um, maybe this is something that we've heard many, many times. But I guarantee you that when there's a sin that comes up enough times and that we give in to enough times again and again and again, I guarantee you thoughts will come up into your brain that something must not have taken in my case. Something is just not working. And this benevolence of God of including me 
it cannot just continue. He's got to be frustrated. But what is that doing? That is actually coming into the family of God by grace, and that is finishing by some kind of a work of the law. And Paul said that is not the characteristic of the Christian life. I think we see it um, in other ways, too. A lot of us have longings, like deep longings of things that we really want in life. We have deep hardships that we go through. And there's a sense in which that we can start thinking that it's got to do with something with me. Like, there's got to be some kind of a heart attitude here that God is just trying to poke in and he is waiting till it gets right before he's going to bless me. But guys, blessing comes through Jesus. It does not come through us. It doesn't come through our good choices. It doesn't come because we're the wisest person around who can win at life and do all the right things. Even our mistakes, for those who are in Christ, that the blessing and benevolence and the mercy of God is mediated through Jesus, who fulfilled the covenant for you. Self-righteousness is no longer necessary. It doesn't help But that's because it's so not necessary. It doesn't work in the first place because we've been given so much more. That's one thing. We've been given freedom from self-righteousness that Paul wants us to see, that we see in the cross, uh, the empty tomb. Another thing it gives us, it also gives us freedom from group righteousness. Uh, Because what does Paul spend a lot of time here saying? Like that this person... Um, who is preaching this other gospel of grace supplemented by some kind of works, that it doesn't only affect that person. But he's given strong warnings that a little leaven leavens the whole, the whole loaf. Um, that actually our attempts at self-righteousness, they don't just affect us, but they affect those around us. And that what they do, they tend to point, like uh, even though we don't mean for it to be that way, but we end up proclaiming this message uh, of ourselves, that there are things um, that are that put some people above other people. There are some things that uh, mark out more genuine Christians than other Christians, and we can reinforce that through our attitudes. Um, in a lot of ways, it comes out in competition with each other. Uh, and we all know that there are ways that we feel like, often, um, we've got our opinions, and we think we're right, and we feel like we're the enlightened um, group, um, especially in a climate like now, a, a confusing uh, religious, political climate, all this stuff that we've arrived. We know what the right thing is, and everybody else um, is just missing the boat. And like we carry that around with us, and like we can smell it on each other. We know this. And often, what that can end up doing to each other is it, it is setting up some other standard, some other secret knowledge, some other something that actually marks out the true believers from the not true believers and those who will be truly blessed and who will be truly not. And am I saying our our opinions don't matter and that the truth doesn't matter? Absolutely not. But we are talking about where blessing comes from. We are talking about how we are attached uh, to the family of God and where um, um, how the blessing of God is actually mediated in our lives. Uh, I'll give you an illustration of this, just the way competition works. It tends to escalate with each other. Uh, I had a, we, I grew up in a small church kind of like this, and uh, I was a little kid, and we had snacks on the back row. And, um, you know, it's advantageous to get there first 
because um, you get the choice of the of rights of the snacks, uh, kind of like the, the, our donut thing uh, over there. Um, but little by little, this friend of mine, he started like getting closer and closer and closer to being the first one. And initially, I wasn't thinking about it because of the competition, but then like when there's some kind of threat in the room, then you've got to really up your game um, and start competing. And so I would find ways to finagle and you know make sure my family sat further to the back of the room so that we were closer to the snacks. Uh, then he would do the same thing with his family. Um, and this went on and on and escalated until there was one Sunday, my dad was a pastor, he was preaching, and the announcements were at the end, the announcements were going, and I look across, and we look each other right in the eyes, and I turned a little bit in my seat, and he turned a little bit in his seat, and I hiked my leg off the end of the chair, and he hiked his leg off the end of the chair, and we were like in go mode. And as soon as my dad says something since he was in, we were off and like ran to the back of the room. And of course, everybody saw it and started laughing and it was totally embarrassing. And my dad said, and the adults are going to go first. <laughs> but, but that just illustrates how this works. Like even though we don't mean to, that, that the, what we put our trust in, what we want actually affects each other. And we know what the kind of people that are safe and the kind of people that actually lead us to the grace of Jesus, uh, they are open. And they are exuding grace on their behalf. Uh, and they are free to talk about their own failures. Um, and we also know the effect of whenever we hide ourselves from each other, whenever we compete, whenever we hold things over our heads, um, just what that does inside of us, uh, the feeling of competition that it creates. And what Paul wants us to see is that we have been given such a gift and that there is one voice that calls to every one of us. It is not each other, but it is Jesus. That Jesus has called every single one of us to himself and has promised this huge bestowal of grace that no matter what anybody else thinks, there is nothing that can take that away. We have been given a Savior who has left heaven and he has come to us for our sake, even if we are the unenlightened ones, even if we are the unwise ones and we don't have our lives together. We have a Savior who calls us, and he wants us to hear his voice through all of the mix. And when we do that, what, is it, what kind of a community does that create? When we long to see Jesus, this actually creates community, and it actually unites us together. True community, it doesn't come from trying to influence each other and to gather together like-minded people, even though it seems like that, and it seems to work well for a little while. But I think now more than ever, we know the cost of that, of how that positions us against each other. It takes our eyes off of Jesus and onto each other and off of the great mercy that we've been given in Jesus. Paul wants us to hear the voice of Christ, who his promises have been given to Israel all along. But what we have now is the word who was made flesh, the Savior who came to us, who got on the cross, who called us to himself at our worst, not at our best. And this radically informs who we listen to. This radically informs who we trust and who we prioritize. And it radically informs how we treat each other. And that's leading into the last point here. Um, if when we talk about freedom, it always gives us this question, is that what does that mean now? Does this mean that the gospel has freed us 
to live an unhindered life where I don't have to worry about my conscience and I don't have to worry about what other people think of me. Those are good benefits. But what does he say here in the end? That this second mark of what it means to be a part of the people of God, it is freedom, but it is also love. These last verses, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul wants to see here that the whole point of the law all along, it actually wasn't self-justification in any way. It was always about love. It was always leading us to the heart of God, to the kind of love that he wanted from his people. And one of the reasons we read uh, that section from Leviticus this morning is, is we see one thing it says in there that this is the sum of the law. You should love your neighbors yourself. But if you look at all those things, that they are so other focused. It's like God is trying to get to his people to see uh, that this is what this is what it means to be part of my people. And that is because this is what I am like. Because he is the kind of God who poked out his people and who called them to himself, who entered into relationship with them when they had nothing to do with God at all. It was a pure act of mercy. And what God has done for us as he has actually come in fulfilling the law and in giving himself for us, he has not only shown us uh, what the law was always about, but he has gone so far above and that he has loved us um, by giving him his very self. He has laid down his life in humility and service for even those who are in rebellion against him. What we have in Jesus is the most radical love that we can hope for. And that whatever we face, whatever anxiety, that we are walking around with the voice of God calling to us, telling us that we are loved. But what that means for us is something important. It is not actually moving away from the law. It is moving away from the law as justification for ourselves. Because that is done and it is complete in Jesus. But what it is doing, it is moving back into it in the sense that it is pulling us back into the heart of God. That part of what it means to be the people of God is in loving God and we imitate him and we are so consumed by it that we share and we give love to one another. This is an essential part of the Christian life. It is not just a self-focused thing. It is self-freedom, but it is a kind of love that is defined by our Savior and it is a true calling into his church uh, to reflect the kind of love into the hardest situations, into each other's lives by grace, of being able to know and extend grace and to admonish each other out of love and not out of shame. And this is how Jesus is known in a large way through the love that is shared that we have been given. But we cannot do that unless we can hear the voice of Jesus and the love that was sent for us and that we are so sold out that that is the only thing that is worth it. Um, in our lives. I'll close with this illustration. Uh, one of my uh, great joys as a parent was watching The Princess Bride with our kids for the first time. Uh, if you have not seen it, then I can't help you. I'm not going to uh, go through the plot. But one of the things that stood out for me this time is, is there's a question in that movie it keeps bringing up that is this time, is Buttercup actually going to hold out for Wesley? 
Or is she going to entertain other, other proposals to marriage along the way? And you can't blame her because he was dead once and mostly dead another time. Uh, but it's a, it's a refrain that keeps coming up. And he keeps telling her, this is true love. I'm always going to come back. But that's a silly example to get at such a profound thing. I think that what, G, what even in here, um, in this, how he describes a Christian in life, for through the Spirit by faith, we, are, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We are sold out for the one who calls us. And as we look to him and as we wait, we have this opportunity to share in this life of the people of God together and to share his love, uh, to delight in his community, and to delight in the blessings that we all have been mediated uh, through Christ for those that are in him. And so that's my prayer for us this week, that we would be sold out for him. And as we do that, uh, that we would also turn our attention to each other. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, would you help us this morning? Uh, We all need to know your love afresh, and we need your reassurance wherever we are. Send your spirit and give it to us. And would you work in our midst that we would truly be able to love one another and that your grace and love will be truly seen here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.